Well, good morning, church. It's exciting to be alive in these last days. I believe we're in the last days, or at least right up to them, as we're going to talk about some end-time events here, because we're looking at the parable, uh, Old Testament parables, and today we're looking at one that we don't very often read. It's from the book of the prophet Zechariah, uh, kind of uh, uh, an unread book, but there's a parable in there that really speaks to today, I believe. So I, I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 1. It's right between Haggai and Malachi. It's the second, uh, it's the next to the last book in the Old Testament. Uh, a little bit of context before we get into it. Uh, God was upset with Israel. They had not submitted to him. They had not done what they should. So God got upset with them, lifted his blessing, and a massive army that they could not resist came against them, conquered them, devoured them, took them off to captivity, took them out of their homeland, took away from them the homeland. Can you imagine what it would be if an enemy conquered us and then moved you back to their country uh, and you had no homeland to come back to? Uh, I wouldn't be very happy with that. Well, that's where Israel was. And the context here now is that Israel is returning. They've been in captivity captivity for 70 years. That's a whole generation. So these are all young, gener young Israelites who don't even remember their homeland that are coming back to that. And God has a word for them. God wants to speak to them. And that's what this parable is about. So uh, we're going to... Uh, we're going to look at this uh, in chapter 1. It's the, we see the first of eight night visions that God gave to Zechariah for Israel in their coming out of their punishment, coming out of their captivity. Uh, so we're going to look at this in three segments. We're going to start out in verse 8. That's where it begins. So I uh, want to draw our attention to verse 8. It says, During the night I had a vision. And there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. So we're going to call this the vision matrix. Uh, a matrix is a, a mix, and there's certain ingredients in that, in that matrix. And we're going to look at the ingredients of this parable. First, it's about a man. It's a vision of a man. It's important we know this. It's not about a horse. It's about a man. And this man is sitting upon a red horse. But remember, it's about the man. And we'll come back to him later, try to identify who he is. He's mounted on a red horse. Now, horses in the Bible are a means of transport. They get us from here to there. Uh, if this vision was given to somebody in a dream, Today, it would probably be a man in a car or a man in a truck, because that's how we get around. But this is a horse, and it's a red horse. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us here in Zechariah what the red horse represents, but the Bible interprets the Bible. And if you remember, in the book of Revelation, there is a vision the Apostle John had about four horsemen of the apocalypse who are coming to bring judgment. It's not the four horses, it's the four horsemen riding on these horses. But the color of the horses in Revelation describes for us what kind of punishment that's going to be coming. So since we read that in Revelation, we can assume here that the red horse 
is a horse representing blood, that's the color red, or war, uh, the absence of peace. And notice the man, mounted on a red horse, is standing among the myrtle trees. All these ingredients in this vision have a purpose. They all are symbolic of something. And so it's a much bigger, deeper story beyond the, the immediate story that we're seeing. He's among the myrtle trees. Now, the Bible talks a lot about trees, and usually when it talks about trees, it talks about something stately, something massive, something solid enough to build a house out of, like an oak tree or a cedar tree. But this is a myrtle tree. So what's the significance of a myrtle tree? We have an image here of a myrtle tree, the kind of tree that grows in the Holy Land. It's real pretty. Just in, a, in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be real pretty as it begins to blossom out. And so they're used for decoration, but they don't get very big. Actually, it's classified as a shrub, not a tree. This is a word picture for Israel coming back from their captivity. They look pretty, but they're stunted. They're a runt of a people coming back to a homeland that's been repossessed by a bunch of pagans that give no consideration to God. So it says he was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. The myrtle trees, stunted, insignificant, small tree, is now down in a ravine. You see, it amplifies the picture of depression. They're coming back in defeat. They're all excited because they're coming out of this captivity and they found their freedom, but they're coming back in a depressed state, a lowly state. And then it says, behind him were red, brown, and white horses. Different colors of horses. Horses take us from here to there. They help us get from place to place. And these horses are different colors, which means they're different uh, mediums. Or uh, if one is war, maybe another one would be famine. Or maybe another one uh, would be rebellion. And these horses aren't the issue. It's the rider on the horse. And so this is the, um, the, the vision matrix, the, the foundation that we're going to build upon, the different parts now, I want us to take us to the second part of the story because here we're going to look at the virtual meaning of this revelation. And this is where it begins to have impact and meaning for you and I in the 21st century, especially with COVID-19 going on around us. So let's look at these verses, verses 9 through 13. I ask, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, They are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah 
which you have been angry with these 70 years. Now, the fact that he says these 70 years makes it very clear we're talking about the Babylonian captivity, which lasted for 70 years. When the 70 years were up, the first group were, were enabled to go back to their homeland. So, we're learning from what we just read here that these other horses are carrying these angels, it's a spiritual vision, carrying angels to and fro throughout the land. They're running over here, they're running over there. I guess we could say they're spies because these are messengers that bring a word from God and messengers that take a word back to God. Did you know there are angels in this world? Angels that represent God? And like with Jacob's ladder, they're going up and they're coming down. They're bringing a word from God and they're taking a word to God. Angels are messengers. And they're in our world today. And notice these messengers were riding on different colored horses, going out and checking out the land, checking out the culture, checking out the people. I wonder if angels do that today. I wonder if angels tune in to our television channels and actually see the kind of stuff that we're broadcasting out there. I wonder if angels actually see what kind of manipulation people are using to make money. I wonder if they see the immorality that's broadcast around our country and around our world. I think they do. I think God sends these angels to check us out, to see how our culture's going, to see how our country's going, and they take a word back to God. And the conclusion, as they reported to the angel of the Lord, the head guy, the main man sitting on that red horse, the word that they take back is that we found the whole world at rest and at peace. Now, you may think that is uh, a compliment. You may think that is a good thing because we all want to be at rest. We all want to be at peace. But what he's basically saying is the pagans have taken over the land. They have conquered. They have stolen everything away from the Israelites. And now they possess the land. And everything's at peace. There's nothing more to steal. There's nothing more to kill. There's nothing more to destroy. So they take that report back to God. So here's a principle that we have to understand about God. Because the Old Testament is full of these cycles. God works in cycles as he relates to his people. Here's the first thing. The first step is God establishes a relationship with a group of people. In the Old Testament, it was the Israelites. In the New Testament, it's the church. It's his people. People who have said, we make you Lord. We want to follow you. Then God blesses them. And they sit back and they're so excited because the hand of God is upon them. Then that moves to the next level. And the, because the people are blessed, they forget where the blessing came from. They forget it, it came from God. They forget that God was involved in their lives. So they consume all that blessing on themselves, on their own lusts, on what they want. God sees it because the angels come back and report. God takes action and send some kind of oppressor upon the people, whether it's a famine or snakes, as we talked about last week, or whether it's an, an enemy. It's some, some power that moves in and takes away the blessing. 
And then once the blessing's gone, the people cry out to God, Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. We want your blessing back. God forgives them, puts blessing back in their life. And the pattern repeats itself. Because the blessing's in their life, they forgot where it came from, and they went back into trusting themselves. The book of Judges is a series of seven cycles like that, making it very clear that this is, this is how God relates to people. But in fact, if we study world history, we will see that those cycles continue to repeat themselves down through time, down till today. Some crisis, some catastrophe, some world war, some 9-11, some COVID-19 comes along and wakes us up. It's like God lifts his hand of blessing from us for a season so that we'll wake up and we can come back to him and reestablish this right relationship that we have with the Lord. Could it be that angels have seen enough and they reported back to God and God said, it's obvious my people are taking me for granted. They have forgotten. I'm serious. So he's lifted his hand of blessing. Personally, that's exactly what I think has happened here in America. We want to deal with that. So God's been angry. He's lifted his hand of blessing. There's been pain among the people. But I want us to see who the man is on the red horse that's the center of attention. It says he's the angel of the Lord. Did you know that, that most of the time in the Old Testament where it talks about the angel of the Lord, it's talking pretty clearly about the pre-incarnate Christ. It's Jesus Christ before he was born on that first Christmas and became a man. The second part of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, always was. He was there in the beginning of creation. There was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to create everything and establish the world as we know it. They're the three that put their blessing in our lives so that we can prosper and be what God wants us to be. But God has lifted his blessing. So, this is Christ. And maybe you're asking yourself, with COVID-19 going all over the world, where is Jesus Christ? Where is the Redeemer in the middle of this crisis? Well, I've got good news for you. He's standing among the myrtle trees. The myrtle trees represent His people. Stunted, down in a ravine, down in a low place where nobody sees them. But he's standing right there in the midst of them. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven churches. Right in the middle. He's there the whole time. Yes, there's chaos and pain all around, but he's standing right in the middle. So where is Jesus Christ in this coronavirus thing? He's standing right in the middle of his people. You are not alone, church. He's with us. You're in good company. Be encouraged. Romans chapter 8 brings it home for us, verses 34 and 35. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He loves you. He loves me. Right in the middle of our pain, right in the middle of God's anger and God's wrath, He loves us. And He's standing right here, right in our midst. If you think that's good news, say amen right where you are. Because I think it's good news. We need to be reminded of this. So he's praying for us. The scripture says he's praying for us right now, interceding for us, standing in the gap. He understands what we need, and he understands what the Father needs, and he's the mediator. He's standing in the gap. And he knows where we are, and he knows our cry. He knows what we're saying. What if you could hear Christ praying for you? I wonder what he'd be asking the Father to do for you right in the middle of of this pandemic, right in the middle of this economic crisis we find ourselves in, this social crisis we find ourselves in. I wonder what he would be praying for you. And notice it says, he spoke kind and comfortable words. I don't know about you, but I've had the Lord speak to me many times. I mean, I knew it was God. Maybe it was a scripture I read, or maybe it was something I heard a preacher preach, or something my wife says to me. I I knew I heard from God. And rarely is it gentle. Maybe it's to whom much is given, much is required. But when God talks to me, He's usually pretty harsh. I'm I'm supposed to know this. So He speaks to me pretty tough like. But here He speaks kind and comfortable words. What does that tell us? He's not angry anymore. God gets angry. When Jesus was was on this earth representing the Father, we saw Jesus get angry. Anger's okay as long as it's controlled. But once Jesus vented his anger, once the Father vented his anger with Jesus on the cross... His anger was over. His anger was pacified. Once his 70 years of punishment for Israel was over, his anger was satisfied. It's time to move on. I believe once his anger is satisfied with this current crisis we have, he'll start speaking kind and comfortable words again because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us stay in this crisis. He wants to bring us out better than we were when we went in. But he knew we would have never gotten better on our own. Which takes us to the third part of the parable I want us to see, and that's the verbal message. There's a verbal message for the world today. He's speaking to Israel, but I believe it's the same, the same thing coming from his heart for us today. This is verses 14 and 17. It says, Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. And the measuring line will be stretched out 
over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. God's got some positive things to say to you and I. If we will humble ourselves in the middle of this crisis, remember he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Not if the bad people, if my people will humble themselves and pray. God works in this world through his people, through us. Notice we learn, we learn that God has some emotions. It says he's jealous. I am jealous for my people. Have you ever been jealous? I have. I don't like to be jealous. I, I kind of think of that as an immature thing. But there's some things that are important to me. And I'm kind of jealous when, they, when that's not reciprocated. Last week we talked about the angels coming and looking at our, the source of our prosperity. The stock market. New York Stock Exchange. Our ability to make money. You think maybe God the Father wants to be our source? You think maybe He wants to be our provider? And you think if we have forgotten all about Him and we have all our hope and security wrapped up in a financial system that doesn't put God first, you think maybe that might make God angry? You think maybe He might want to take action steps because He's jealous? He wants to be in that place? He said, I'm very angry with the nations that feel secure. I don't know about you, but as an American, I, I was feeling pretty secure up until now. And all of a sudden, all this wealth we had in Washington seems to be all depleted right down to nothing. And people are saying, we need more help, we need more help, and the money's all gone. God wants to be our source. He lets us experience insecurity so that we will look to Him for security. Not the government. Not our country, but look to God for our security. And you think maybe those angels on those horses are checking into Facebook, our Facebook posts, and what we're communicating with, with this social media about politics? You think maybe they see some of these posts that are on there that make our president almost a god? Almost the savior of the world. He's the only one that can save us. I think maybe that makes God really jealous. Maybe he wants to let us know he's not putting up with that kind of stuff any longer. It's not your political party, your political system that's going to save this country. It's our God. He wants to have that place, so he's jealous. He's jealous. And we also have this other problem in America especially, but it's around the world, we have this lust for sexual perversion. God's established our sexuality, and He's defined it for us very clearly. But in our culture, we have a lust for perversion. Whatever God says is the way it should be, we want to pervert it. And I think God's a little bit jealous because he wants to be what we pursue. He wants to be the thing that we, we, we uh, spend our passion toward. Not some other relationship. 
I think he's jealous. And when his church embraces the sexual perversion, I'm sure that makes God seethe. I can see why he would be fed up and want to take action against our world. He says, I was a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. You see, he uses sources to punish us, to bring us to our knees, to humble us, so that we'll come back to God. And then he punishes the source that hurt us. Babylon is about to be destroyed because God used Babylon, and when he was done using them, he's going to punish them for the pain that they gave to Israel. So there's good news. The, this, this book about Israel's uh, being taken into captivity is not over yet. There's another chapter. Another chapter coming yet. I believe for us here in the United States with this COVID-19 thing, this isn't the end of the book. There's another chapter coming. And God is bringing good news in that chapter. Three things in the text we just read that we need to apply to our country coming out of this COVID-19 when we finally learned our lesson. He's coming back with mercy. Did you catch that? He said, I'm coming back with mercy. I've been just. You've paid a penalty. Now I'm going to bring you back with mercy. I'm looking for forward for some of that mercy from God. Secondly, He's going to rebuild God's house. Did you catch that? It's, it's leveled. It's trashed. I'm going to rebuild it. And I believe what the Lord is saying to New Hope Christian Center, at least He's saying it to me, and I'm grabbing a hold of it, is when this is all over, He's going to rebuild His church. And His church is going to be stronger, and it's going to be more focused than it ever was. Because we had to go through this to get there. Thirdly, did you catch this? He says, my towns will again overflow with prosperity. I'm going to prophesy here right now, church. I want you to listen to me. I believe this is the word of the Lord for his church. If we will humble ourselves, if we will make what's been wrong right, if we will bring these changes in our own land, we're going to experience when we come out of this more prosperity than we ever could have. God's going to prosper his church. He's going to prosper his people. It's right here. God's talking about prosperity. He's going to bring prosperity with him. And this is good news. So, God's going to restore what the enemy took away. Expect that. Believe that. Will you believe that? Will you make the corrections in your life? Whatever God's dealing with you to fix, correct, modify, will you do that? I want to. I want to sing, yes, I will. Yes, I will, Lord. And if you're saying yes, yes, I will, there's two things you can do. Number one, right down there where at the bottom of the screen where it says raise your hand, that's you saying, yes, I will. And God will see you click that. And the other thing you can do is sing this song with us because we're going to sing a song of recommitment, rededication. Yes, I will. Sing it to the Lord like you mean it because he's coming back as soon as this is over. God bless you.